Welcome back. This is Clean, Podcast 4. In the previous lesson, we looked at Paul and the concept of purity in his letters. Now we're going to look at the concept of purity and cleansing in James, Peter, and John. As we've seen already, purity is a very broad concept. To narrow it, to confine it to a single sin, is too narrow. That lets us off the hook for the full commitment, the breadth of commitment, because purity affects even our very motivation. How are you doing this year so far with purity? How are you doing with your purity of thought, your speech, your consecrated focus, your lifestyle? Just as is in the Old Testament, so it is in the New Testament that God expects purity. Let's now go over the passages in James and Peter and John. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. I'm reading from James 1.27. What is pure religion? What is undefiled? And what he says next is telling. It's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The world is polluted. The pollution of the world can come into our lives. And the result here is not something uh, financial or sexual or things often associated with purity. It's the pollution of the world in a different area where we don't care anymore about those who are hurting. True religion involves visiting people in pain, orphans and widows in their affliction. Widows can be visited and have needs all their life long from that point on, but especially in their affliction and orphans until they are adopted into a loving family, until the wounds have had a chance to start to heal. They're in their affliction, too. To keep oneself unstained from the world is not a different topic. It's what it means by visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. The pollution of the world famously affected the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and um, several other cities at that time. In Ezekiel 16, 48 and 49, if you don't know that passage, I strongly encourage you, pause this recording and read Ezekiel 16, 48 and 49, because we see what it did to the people of Sodom when that pollution came into the world. And unfortunately, the sin with which Sodom is most often associated, sodomy, is only part. In fact, you could even argue a small part of the picture, what was really going on, They no longer cared about others. They just cared about themselves. So those in affliction, agony, whether it's emotional or psychological, they need comfort, and it's Christ-like, and it's pure religion to visit them. And don't let the world tell you someone else will do it or keep you so busy you don't have time to do it. This is the religion that God accepts, James 1.27. Now we're going to look at James 3.17. This is the end of a chapter on the tongue. Chapter 3 is all about what we say. You could say purity of speech. James 3.17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So we're talking about our speech and our attitude. You know, fellowship that is acceptable to God, that is pure, 
is fellowship that's merciful. We're not just glossing over needs. We care about people. Fellowship that's uh, demonstrated by sincerity, impartiality, not just fellowshipping with those who are easy to fellowship with, gentleness, and so forth. Evangelism that is accepted to God, acceptable by God, is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason. It's not clobbering someone with the truth. It's truly a dialogue. Even more than that, it's a merciful outreach. When we speak at home to our parents or to our brothers and sisters, are we speaking with purity? When we're criticized or rejected, do we respond in a pure way? So the wise response is described by these various characteristics. And notice that the first of them is purity. Then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Six or seven more after that. Now let's go to Peter. James, of course, was the brother of Jesus. Peter was the, the leader of the 12. 122, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, that concept of the pure heart we'll remember from 1 Timothy 1. Well, why does Peter mention this in 1 Peter 1? Well, maybe because it's hard to love. It's hard to be giving to others when we have a troubled conscience. You've done something that that has left you with guilt, even if it's just a residual guilt. It, it compromises our, our judgment, our perception, our desire for holiness, our, our closeness to God. Notice also he says that our hearts are purified by obedience to the truth. Hearts are not purified simply by knowledge or, or faith. There must also be an obedience to the truth. Probably this is an allusion to the rebirth of Christian conversion, the rebirth of water and spirit, John 3, 5. Obeying the gospel, and that concept of obeying the gospel is found not just here, but in Acts 5.32 and 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1 8 and other passages. So this, this, this relation between obedience and purity is important. If we're not planning to obey God, then to stay pure in one or another areas of our life will, will probably not be successful. And if it is, it'll just be a cause of pride. First Peter 3, 2. And what we read in this verse is when they see your respectful and pure conduct. I'm deliberately not reading before and after. Oh, the context is winning over a spouse. You know, presumably uh, you've tried words. You're trying to reach your husband. It could be the other way. You're trying to reach your wife. And he says that it can be done without words when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Winning over anyone who isn't ready for reason, who's, who's not really open to studying the scripture. Well, what do you do? First Peter 3, 2. We live in a way that's respectful and pure, and even without words, we have an impact. And John, well, the word pure, purity, is not appearing in the versions I'm consulting for uh, the letters of John, but in the revelation of John, there's, there's some passages we should consider. 19, verse 8, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. You know, the end of Revelation is, is preparation for a marriage ceremony. Ceremony. Christ is the groom. His church is the bride. And 
the wedding garments here are fine linen, bright and pure. This is the opposite of Isaiah 64, 4-7, where you have the filthy rags. Those are deeds, religious deeds, unacceptable to be God because of deliberate sin, unwillingness to obey. When we offer ourselves to God with a pure heart, then our righteous acts are righteous deeds. They are fine linen. They're pure linen. This, of course, refutes the common Protestant view, and especially the Calvinist interpretation. We can do what is right, and we have to be careful about selective reading. And then even a few verses later, in 1914, we read of the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, following on white horses. So really, from first to last in the Bible, we see that purity is highly valued by God. Well, what happens if we're careless? What happens if we're heedless as to the condition of our hearts? Well, Proverbs 4.23, we guard our hearts first of all. Failure to keep our hearts pure can lead us to a bad place, a really bad place. And I wanted to close this lesson with an example. And that example is, is someone who, who was in a bad place. He became a Christian, didn't watch his heart, and he ended up in a worse place. And it's Simon Magus, Simon the Magician. Let's read from Acts 8, verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. Verse 9, For some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Now, this guy liked to be at the center of attention. He liked to be first, like Diotrephes of 3 John. We probably would have said he had a narcissistic you know, uh, personality disorder. He liked impressing people. And it, these were not miracles from God. It was sorcery. It was trickery. Then the, the, uh, Simon, he, he comes into contact with Philip the evangelist. Philip has, is one of the men who's been scattered from Jerusalem because of the persecution. And look what happens. Uh, the crowds, verse 12, they, they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. So this is the normal response. Um, faith, uh, you know, it's a decision, it's baptism. And we read that Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. It's not that it's wrong to be astonished by God's great deeds, but this was the center of Philip's mental stage, so to speak. And he wanted to see himself with power to do those miracles on that stage with a spotlight on him. He was baptized. It never says he didn't become a Christian. But his motives, that you know, deepest level, level four, Something, something's off. Well, the apostles come to Samaria because this is unprecedented that you've got to remember the Samaritans had been separate from the Jews for almost eight centuries, and they had a, a faith that was heterodox. In other words, it, it was not just the straight uh, teaching orthodoxy. It was heterodoxy. It was something else. It was a mixture of what is true with what is not true. And there was tremendous prejudice, as we know, towards them on the part of the Jews. So the apostles come, and we read 18. Simon saw the Spirit was given laying on of the apostles' hands. He offered them money, and he said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. 
this is not a, a good question, <laughs> not a good petition to put to Peter. Look what Peter says. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. He doesn't have a pure heart. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you may have said may happen to me. Well, that's the last we read about Simon in the book of Acts in the New Testament. He's been severely reprimanded by Peter. It doesn't say that he repented. It doesn't say that he didn't. Or maybe he he repented for a while and he kept himself relatively humble and then he just slipped back into his old self. We don't know. But there is a pretty strong uh, body of evidence from the second century that Simon went the wrong way yet again. That he went to Rome. Uh, He wanted to, I guess, have even larger crowds. And when Peter arrived in Rome, caused him a huge amount of trouble. There was a rivalry. It was more than a rivalry. Simon was trying to destroy Peter's work. And Simon Peter was obviously trying to undo Simon's work. And that's where we can end up eventually. If we don't guard our hearts, we're on the outside looking in. We're filled with attitudes towards those who previously had helped us and spoken the truth to us. We can end up becoming troublemakers. So let's keep our hearts pure today. Why risk it? God values a pure heart. We see that throughout the New Testament. Paul, last lesson, James, Peter, John, Uh, this lesson. We have another lesson where we'll look at the New Testament teaching, particularly the concept of walking in the light, but that's for tomorrow. Thanks for listening.